Real Love is the perfect handle for Allison Statner. Her passion for her coastal community started in Avalon, New Jersey, targeting stripers, black bass, bluefish, and flounder and such. After high school, she transitioned and went to the University of Miami, where she found herself networking her way into the sailfish tournament scene, fishing and competing with some of the best teams and captains in the entire world. I found out about Real Love through social media, always watching her posts and couldn't wait for the next one. In this interview, we find out so much more about her and her diverse connection with her coastal community. I consider her a role model in the fishing world, and it was a pleasure having her on the Real Guy podcast. Clear the airwaves. The Lunker Dog is on the air. Are you ready? This is the Real Guy podcast. Could not, not ask you to be on the Real Guy podcast because um, every time I turn on Instagram or Facebook, I see you with a beautiful fish smiling and it makes me smile. Cool. So, yeah. So I was like, I got to ask her to be on the podcast because that's exactly why I did this podcast because so many fish heads like yourself, you know, don't get heard. Although you do a phenomenal job at um, the social aspect of it all, not just social media, but the social aspect of fishing. I was going through all the different posts and stuff that you do. And you have to be the most social person that I've ever seen when it comes to the fishing world. I like to say yes. Yeah. So I um, participate in as many different opportunities as are come in front of me. So I always think I'm about to wrap some things up and slow down and then people call or you hear about something and it just, you know, I think if you're that kind of busy um, engaged person, it just continues. I mean, it definitely shows. I mean, I've watched your posts forever. You do all sorts of offshore stuff. You do bass tournaments, you do environmental cleanups. You, it's just like, every time I look, you're doing something, you're so active. Is that the way you are outside of fishing? Yes. Um, we're not allowed to say bored in our house, but I, I mean, I do always love um, different hobbies. I've always been looking for the next thing or studying, peeling off the layers of something um, that I'm starting to get into. It, it never stays like a small hobby. It always becomes a full blown um, activity. And like I said, with, with those activities um, or with those events, it, they were all just, yes, you know, some, George from Jig Pro said, hey, I want to do a beach cleanup. Will you do it with me? I said, yeah. Um, you know, they needed somebody to run the bass tournament because the woman that normally runs it is is has done it for many years and they wanted somebody new. So I said, yes. <laughs> so <laughs> some things I, I go looking for and some things find me. Yeah, it's funny how that works. P- people in motion stay in motion and grow like a snowball for the most part. But one of the things that I found out um, about you when I was getting ready to do the interview, um, I didn't know that you spent time down here in South Florida and went to University of Miami. I did. I lived that's... in the Grove for probably 15 years. Wow, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Now, how did, um, how did you like being down here compared to where you are now up by Juneau? Um, I loved it. I mean... I'm thankful I survived living on South Beach in my 20s. <laughs> you know, I feel like I have a medal of honor because I'm, I'm still here doing stuff. That, that's um, a comp- an accomplishment in itself. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. So, you know, I did that. I did the Grove scene. I'm a huge Keynes fan. Um, I loved fishing in the Grove. And I loved shooting down to Isle Mirada and fishing. Um, and then the Grove, like everywhere else, you know, the traffic and, um, I have my daughter my daughter got older and I just, I started driving up here, uh, to Juneau and Hope Sound to surfish. And I was like, you know what, this is exactly what I'm looking for. You know, my, my criteria was mostly like my kid could ride a bike in the neighborhood, um, and not, you know, have to be chaperoned at all times. And uh, we have more opportunities to be outside in the green space. 
Um, so it was kind of a no brainer. Yeah. That that's, I think that's one of the biggest challenges, um, say Palm beach to, well, hell now all the way to Key West is, um, I don't know, just, you know, it's gotten so overgrown and like you said, the traffic and just the congestion and it's just hard to feel like, I don't know, like it's hard to feel like an outdoorsman. It's hard to feel like you're in touch with nature. The only time you ever feel that is when you get out on the ocean away from it all. And I used then- to say Miami's the most beautiful place at like 530 when everybody's sleeping because in the morning, you know, I would drive over to the beach for sunrise and I was like, man, this is beautiful, you know, going out Miami Beach Causeway and sun's coming up and it's quiet. But Right. No, you hit it right on the head because I feel the same way when I'm doing my trips every day. As the sun goes down, everybody leaves the water and it becomes, mm-hmm. you know, it becomes a different place. It yeah. becomes more of a, a real outdoor playground for you. And then it can be taken away at any time due to boat traffic or, you know, just the, just a congestion down here. There's a big part of me that wants to find a new place um, for the same reasons, you know, you did. Um, but the surf fishing thing, now you're doing, you're doing charters with the surf fishing um, as a full-time income now? Um, I do that as one, one thing that I do. Um, mm-hmm. I probably do two or three charters a week during spring break, um, you know, or, or just winter season, weather permitting, I might do a little bit more. Um, But, you know, it was something I was doing occasionally. um, And then with COVID and everything, especially during those restrictions, everybody, you know, as you know, came to Florida, but everybody wanted to be outside. And the surf fishing demographic specifically just exploded because, you know, the, the, the. Right. It fit the criteria. I don't know. You're six feet. (laughs) Everybody had six feet. So the beaches were, uh, were full. So, and it's a very accessible sport, you know, both it's, it's easy to go out for an hour. You don't have to prep the whole boat and everything. Um, you know, it's affordable. It's a great, uh, there's a lot of reasons why I could see so many people gravitated to it. Yeah. Well, I mean, for my personal pastime, surf fishing is my favorite by far, but I would never take a charter out there doing that that's kind of like my selfish time where i would get alone and i can hear the waves and i can focus on the water whether the fishing's good or bad it really doesn't matter when i get back in the car and come home you know i feel like you know i feel like i got away from it all i feel like i was in touch with the ocean a little bit and the surf fishing for me has always been my favorite over the years we've done so much footage on the mullet run quite a few people have asked me to take them surf fishing but because of the conditions and then here we uh are so restricted on where we can actually access the beach to go fishing now up where you are um do you have any restrictions as far as where you can fish on the beach uh no my understanding is dade and broward can fish before and after lifeguards so Honestly, I mean, the sunrise, first light to sunrise bite, you have almost until nine o'clock. And there's a a majority of the guys on the beach here that are the regular guys. They all fish from like six to nine. They get a bunch of fish or they don't. And then they go home and start the rest of their day. Um, So it's not the worst option. Um, You know, I have a lot of ladies down there and I tell them, you know, if you don't want to drive and you just want to go for an hour or two, you can have your morning coffee and sunrise and check the beach conditions. Um, and then you bump up into Palm Beach County. And I think there's really just restrictions as far as um, not in front of the lifeguards, you know, which I. But Palm Beach County, we have dog beach, kite, kite surfing. I mean, there's a lot of mixed recreation. They pull their jet skis right up on the beach here. So there's a co-recreating at all times. Yeah, well, that you use your beaches up there for what a beach is made for. Here, not so much. Yeah, you're right. If you get up early, yeah, you can get that uh, 
little time before the lifeguards leave. But then the lifeguards don't go home to damn near dark now, which totally harshes my buzz because I will go, um, you know, in September and October for the mullet run. You know, you're searching all over the beach and you don't necessarily, you can't, well, you can't control where the fish are going to be. And very often they're right in front of the lifeguards and all the fish are jumping around and these guys aren't leaving till damn near dark. We'll go up to the lifeguards and try to, you know, be friendly with them and see if they'll let us fish. And every once in a while they will, but for the most part, it's closed down. So I either go north of Sunrise Boulevard to get away from the lifeguards or south of BMR to get away from the lifeguards. And other than that, I have to drive way north in order to access the mullet run like we used to. Not like there's much of a mullet run anymore anyway, but it's just totally different. So I think I might maybe head north looking for the mullet run this year and save myself from the aggravation. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, with good old Facebook, you'll know exactly where the mullet run is at every moment. <laughs> yeah. They tell you the whole East Coast mullet report. You know, it's, it's I honestly, because a lot of guys, you'd be amazed. Pompano is like the obsession. And so there's tons of guys from down south that drive, you know, they all follow the migration. And so they're, they're covering up Juneau to Hope Sound. There isn't any open sand. Really? Uh-huh. Yep. That was, that was my, a couple weeks ago, I would get there at before, before first light. I mean, straight dark. I was up at four and at the beach before five o'clock and there were 10 cars there. 10 trucks. And what are these, Pompano fishermen? Uh-huh. Huh. They'll drive from Melbourne. They'll drive from Orlando. They'll drive from Miami-Dade. They chase the Pompano, just like those guys chase tarpon and mullet and whatever else. Really? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I knew people were into Pompano fishing, but I didn't realize it was no, like it's that. it's a full-on obsession. Is that... Um... Is that a hampering on any of your activity? Um, it doesn't because I manage expectations before people, um, before I take anybody, I tell them, you know, I'm not really about limits, um, about showing you some fishing in my area, showing you a little bit about surf fishing, bending the rod. I like bycatch, you know, and hopefully catching you maybe two, three fish to go home and to do a little hook and cook. And then I right. say, if that's a good fit for you, then, you know, let's confirm. <laughs> right on. And you are into the cooking. Yeah. No, I just, you know, there are guys that want to follow that school because you will get that Insta bite and you got two hooks on four rods and they can be boom, boom, boom. When this, when you're on the school of Pompano, it's, you know, it's thick. So they limit and and it's, and then, you know, that all circles back to Facebook. And then the next day, there's no parking. No, I mean, Loggerhead Marine Center in Juneau, they had the um, the guy comes and opens the gate. So there were trucks lined up there for them to open the gate. It just sucks the fun out of it for me. So I just find another place that maybe isn't the hottest spot, but somewhere where I can catch some fish and actually enjoy myself. Well, that's a positive way to take it. The yeah. um, Man, I had no clue. I had no clue it was that crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm fairly yeah. not, I'm, you know, being a tarpon guide, I'm fairly nocturnal. So yeah. that morning beach fishing stuff, I haven't done 20, 30 years, you know, with any type of consistency. I had no clue it grew to that type of. Uh, oh yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm in a surf cart modification group. I mean, I don't know. There might be seven or 8,000 members. These guys modify their sand spikes. They put, solar powered stuff they've got color coordinated pvc bait tables i mean flags their own logos their trucks how they transport their cart um it's like a whole i just people that don't like my guy friends that were striper fishing were coming down here to surf fish and i'm trying to tell them like you know it's that's what these guys do. There's some mackerel guys, and then there's these pompano guys. Everybody kind of has their niche. Yeah, everybody's got their niche. And there's like, 
here we have, you know, offshore guys, inshore guys. Then we have tarpon guys, snook guys. And then we got fly fish guys, sport fish guys, T top guys. We got all sorts of guys. But you're talking about totally different people. Mm hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, but I mean, you know, because I'm, I'm involved in that whole community. I mean, we have, um, I went and listened to some of your podcasts, but you were talking about Michael Connor. I mean, he does the Indian River Sand Spike Shootout. We've, He's had it two years in a row, and the proceeds from the tournament, the registration goes to, you know, support Indian Riverkeeper. Right. So we get he gets a huge turnout. I want to say over a hundred anglers up at Dolman Beach on Hutch. Yeah, he asked me to go fly fishing, um, and I'd love to take him up on it, but it'd be a summertime thing for me. So I don't know if that's the, the yeah. best time to be out there, but. Yeah. That's, no, that's I'm just I, saying there's there's surf fishing tournaments that are local that, you know, you may or may not know about just because it's like the circles that you're passing information. You ever bump into Connor when you're out there? Um, Sometimes he fishes up on Hutchinson Island. I fish up there sometimes. That red slime has been uh, has been crushing Hutchinson Island lately. I've actually in a pocket of clean water here. So talk to me a little bit about the red slime. What? what What's that all about? Is that from the, the red um... slime? Is um, I'll tell you that every single person you ask will tell you something different. Um, and it is my understanding because I've talked to a lot of the older guys that this is not new and this is not associated with a lot of our other water quality issues. It could be exacerbated by it. Um, but this particular red slime it's not really like seaweed it and it has a, it stinks i mean a really bad odor i don't really let my charter guests touch it i always say no and they're like no it's okay i said no really like i don't want you to touch it um but when it blankets and i've heard broward is unfishable because of it um it just clings on to your barrel swivel every hook your Sputnik, I mean, you know, oh, everything. Right. You're covered in it. And I think we get it here. Like, I know that it's on the inshore reefs, you know. It's sometimes, I don't know if it's tidal um, or wind or whatever current, but it can be on your hooks in 70 feet if you're bottom fishing. So um, I think that it just, the fish are locked on when, when it's around because it's stinking. It's just... We've so it makes it. fishing on, on, you you can't physically fish because your baits are like instantly covered. And then on top of that, I think the fish, you know, fish definitely aren't happy about it. Yeah. That, last year, Dania Beach, for whatever reason, the south side of Dania Beach, and it seemed to be like about a half mile between the jetty, the southern side of the beach. And it was so thick that. I mean, you couldn't fish. I mean, you, it stunk like holy hell. Yeah. And um, you could fish on the Fort Lauderdale side of Port Everglades. It wasn't too bad. It was fishable. Mm -hmm. But for whatever reason, it would stack up on the on the south side. Yeah. Well, it, what I've heard from a lot of the old guys is that the, this it's historically comes around this time, whether that's current and weather conditions, you know, align, and then you get it for a short period. So I've heard that it, you, it's always come and gone um, and that just it keeps getting worse year after year, which is, you know, either warmer water temperature or chemicals, you know. Yeah. And it's just a beach fisherman's nightmare. It. Yeah. Yeah. So. I feel you. Now, how did you, um, how'd you get into fishing? Who introduced you to it? I grew up in Avalon, New Jersey, near Cape May. Okay. I've been fishing since I can remember. A lot of good fishermen out of that New Jersey yeah. Beach area. Yeah. When I was when I was a kid, I went up to there. I went up there for the Mako's Owners Tournament, and we did the uh, Mako Shark Tournament. Mm -hmm. South Jersey Marina. Yeah, there was. I don't know if the place is still around. There was a place called Tuppins up there, mm -hmm. and they were a Mako dealer. We went there. We had a great time. Caught a bunch of giant bluefish. Then caught a bunch of. Uh, Mako sharks with the giant blue fish. Yeah. Yeah. And that was the first time I was introduced to the New Jersey fishermen. Yeah. And real hardcore up there though. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're, we're special. That's for sure. 
<laughs> now what's up with the with the with the striper guys up there? They seem to be way more um I, I well, they, mean, seem, I, they seem to be like our snook bridge fisherman type. Um I mean, uh, you gotta you 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 know, I think there's two ways you can classify people, either by the style of fishing they do and their tackle. So surf casters, you know, they're throwing topwater plugs or you know, the target species, you know, snook guys. But right. so I'm you know, a lot of the guys that are coming down here, moving down from the northeast, wanna know how do you adapt what I'm doing up there um, to down here. And they're just kind of tweaking it a little bit and throwing those same plugs at big jacks and tarpon and redfish. One of the places I remember when I went to New Jersey, um, was a jetty by Bricktown. And we were catching these little black bass. Yeah. And people were so fired up about catching these black bass and, um, I don't know. I really wasn't that into it, but man, were they into it? I mean, there was, God, there must've been a hundred people fishing along these rocks for these little black bass. Did you do a lot of that? I did a lot of that. I still do a lot of that. So part of the, uh, the firing up is because there's only a few target species. So it's sea bass season and then it's flounder season and then it's tog season or if you're going offshore in the canyons, it's yellowfin, and then we go to bluefin, and then we go to marlin with some dolphin on the side. So there isn't like reef fishing in Florida where you drop a bait down and you're not sure what you're going to get. <laughs> in New Jersey, I am like 90% or higher confident I can tell you <laughs> what you're winding in. Um, you know, like sea robins and trigger fish, trigger fish, they get, my buddies get so fired up over triggers. <laughs> they, they compare, they know their PB, like, well, one was three and a half pounds. As one time I caught a five pound trigger. They're showing me pictures of it. So, I mean, I get it when you people from Florida aren't relating to the, uh, the being fired up, but yeah, the, the, the interesting thing is there's a, headboat in Hope Sound area, Port Salerno, called the Safari. And when I first came down here, it was one of the boats that I went out on to learn what was going on. And I caught the black sea bass. And I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe I caught this fish in Florida. And I was so excited. It's very hard to catch a keeper in Florida. Um, but what's interesting, now that I've fished here a little bit, is the yellowtail and the turn off right at the Hope Sound Reef. and not so many north of there. And then the opposite is true with this black sea bass. You can go Hope Sound Reef north. You can go off some inshore reefs off Stewart. Um, and you can get black sea bass. But my buddies in New Jersey, and I know you're not going to believe this, they will ride 17 miles to deep drop for black sea bass. You know, I've seen it with my own eyes. I believe it. <laughs> I, when I see them, like, we limited, I'm like, please tell me you guys were under 15 miles. And they all say laughing because they're like, no, it was 17. <laughs> I said, stop riding out 17 miles of black sea bass. See, so my so my uh, my initial instinct was right. These New Jersey people are hardcore, man. <laughs> yeah, but that's their only fish. Flounder's closed. Tog isn't open yet. That's it. I love to blow their mind when I take them on my fishing trips here because we'll be tarpon fishing off the beach and there'll be a whole bunch of sailfish, you know, out about a mile away from us. And I'll look over at them when the tarpon aren't eating and I'll say, hey, you want to go catch a sailfish? And they're like, yeah. you can do that? And then you take them out there to catch it and they think you're like, you know, they think you're Jesus Christ well, or something. Yeah, Jupiter is like the closest point to the Gulf Stream. That was one of my... Uh... Factors that close the deal for me. <laughs> now, one, of the, one of the things that one of the things that I noticed about you is you're so rounded when it comes to fishing. So you're doing the surf fishing, you're doing bass fishing, you do all sorts of offshore reef fishing, and then you're into the pelagics also. How do yeah, you I, how I do mostly, you get around um, like that? Well, I grew up doing the pier and jetty fishing. And then when I moved to Florida for college, I started offshore fishing. 
Um, and I don't know if you know this, but I started very early in that journey for me. I started fishing with Ray Rocher and he became one of my very close mentors. And, I, and then he transitioned me into sailfish tournaments, which I fished with him for a long time um, until it just became so competitive and just kind of sucked the fun out of it for me. So then I just went back to fun fishing. Right on. Um, but he was like so encouraging and inspirational and like intellectual about the way that he fishes, which is how the, the, to best connect with me. You know, I love all of the details of it. Um, and so he, right at that time, he really was, you know, the impetus for me to, to continue what I was started doing. How fortunate. Um, yeah. I mean, Ray Rocher is one of the, not only is he one of the best fishermen in the world, but one of the nicest and best people that I know in yeah. the fishing world. Correct. So, so how how lucky for you. Yeah, that was the benefit of being in the Grove there. And some of my friends were already fishing with him and uh, working for him. And so that all, you know, I connected with him very early. And then I just started fishing all the time um, and mostly was doing offshore fishing and then was mostly doing party boat fishing um, because it was the easiest way for me to not only fish all the time, um, but for me to hold the rod and tie the rig, put the bait on. Because I was like, char you, you only can learn so much charter fishing. And working on a boat, when people ask you questions, you want to answer some questions. Some guys don't. That's fine. But it's hard to answer someone's questions and explain what you're doing when you just need to get it, get it done. So I, I kind of maxed out what I would could learn from charter fishing other than new water, you know, when you travel, then I really appreciate that. But for me, what really got me going to the next step was party boat fishing because then I was doing it myself. Right. And that, and that, was that so that was bothering you a little bit like you were just feeling like okay i need to get more involved i need to get more hands on well tournament fishing in particular you know i came to accept that i wasn't you can't do everything right my job as angler was just as important as somebody else's job as me so then i realized okay i'm doing all this but i'm i've maxed out my angler position you know i want to move on to to doing everything for my, you know, for myself. And so, you know, you can go out on the party boat. I was started fishing. My next mentor was probably Captain Wayne Khan on the reward legend. So another one. <laughs> yeah. So, well, Captain Wayne taught me how to head boat fish. He taught me how to bottom fish. Um, so I spent a lot of time out there with him and he does kids programs. And I said, that's what I want to do. And I started helping him do that. Um, and we would, charter the reward and do family days. And then that's, you know, how I started the next step. Gotcha. Who taught you how to hang out with all the best people? <laughs> that, that just, that was really living in the Grove. So I was fishing headboats and, um, you know, I was fishing headboats in the Keys or traveling to fish other ones, but just being down at that dock, it was like, you know, I'd standing there talking to Jimmy Lewis and Wayne, you know, and I would just listen. That's the best education I could get. Yeah. You could say that again. You can say that again. I was fortunate enough. I mean, my, uh, you know, my dad was into building sport fishing boats and he was into the whole, you know, offshore scene and he just kind of, you know, threw me into it. I never knew any difference. I didn't know how, great all these people were like jimmy lewis you know and ray rocher till i got way older i just took everything i just took everything for granted and um i think the smartest thing you can do in this fishing world is surround yourself with the best people that you possibly can yeah agreed so speaking yeah. of best people and worst people explain to me if you don't mind when I did the interview with Black Tip H, you were a little outspoken about it. And you weren't the only one. And it was like 50-50. About half the people 
were bothered by the conversation with Black Tip H, and about half the people were encouraged. One of the things that I um, noticed after doing the interview with Black Tip H is a lot of people that, let's just say, didn't have the most positive things to say about him, looked at him a little bit differently. Could you talk to me a little bit about how you feel about YouTubers, Black Dip H, and the fishing world? I am not talking about him as a person. Okay. And I think that there should be um, a separation between people's, let's say, online character, persona, and their real life. I don't think anybody is, you know, there's a lot of YouTubers, I think, over-exaggerate. I mean, kids in today's generation don't know what the actual definition of epic is. Epic is like (laughs) something that comes along that absolutely blows your mind that maybe happens one or two times in your life. Epic doesn't happen every day. (laughs) So the fundamental definition of epic has been changed by YouTubers. I feel Um, you. So that's, I didn't have anything, but I so guess it's like the sensation. I think that like artificial inflation, you know, I have some issues with a lot of different issues with social media. And I think that there are a lot of benefits to it. And I think there's a lot of negatives and I'm always on the fence of when do you say something and when do you not? And Really, for me, it's a see something, say something, you know, see something, say something issue because I don't really look away. So I have a problem with someone that has a high profile and is able to influence sheeple, unfortunately. Sheeple, I like that. Um, that you use that to make that catch seem glamorous. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> there's really nothing that he could have argued to me that that fish lived. But <laughs> I, I'm also the person that will jump in on a social media group chat and tell these guys, hey, you know, I love light tackle fishing, but maybe you don't need to fight a tarpon for an hour and exhaust it and oh it's okay it swam off i'm like listen it might have swam off you know briefly away from you but the chance of survival of that fish or that fish getting away from a shark was extremely low yes and if you care about a fishery then i think you should set an example and i just i try to set a good example. I'm not perfect. I don't claim to be, I, you know, I don't want to always set the best example. Sometimes I just want to relax, but a lot of times I, I, you know, I at least give it a go. Um, there's a lot of kids and ladies that look to me. Um, and I feel a certain amount of, um, it's not pressure. I just, it's almost like empowerment, like that, like they're trusting me and I want to reciprocate that. Um, my real issue is that I want people is fishing is a sport and people who fish can be considered athletes. I want people to be in the spotlight based on their performance. Right. I do not want it to be because I feel like that's what other sports are. So if you get down to the bikinis, it's like you could be a beach volleyball player or you could be a surfer. But if I go, because I wear all the surf bathing suits, if I go on to their page, it is not over-sexualized like it is in fishing or fishing magazines. They're just athletes in bathing suits. I don't have a problem with the bathing suit. I mean, I live in Florida. That's why I like the beach. And it's the same thing. You know, I don't want to see guys like that. I, I've never in my life seen a guy fish without a shirt on. 
like in general, maybe, maybe a handful of times on a, on a Sunday fun day. But I mean, no one who's professional is like flexing when they, when they're winding stuff in, I don't want to see that either, you know, but the, the over glamorizing of things that may not of things in general, but especially of something that is not setting a great example. I'm going to say something about it. And then somebody else trying to cross collab on that is, is even worse. Uh, I think you said, I think you said it well, because is you're a minority. And what I mean by that is, I mean, you're, you're real love. And what I mean by that is you spent so much time and energy and committed yourself to the sport that, and you're not alone, but the people that have done that feel like YouTube and social media and the way they're doing these productions, it's like a slap in the face because it doesn't portray the sport for what the sport really is. Unfortunately, and I fall into the same boat, unfortunately, is we're the minority that appreciates the sport. The vast, vast majority of people, especially people on social media, they don't value the sport, they don't understand the sport, and they don't appreciate the sport. One of the reasons I got out of doing the YouTube um, productions is because in order to get the millions of views that you need to be a YouTuber, I was going to have to start doing sensational stuff like that, catching sharks and Goliath groupers and doing all sorts of weird things in order to get, you know, a million views. And I feel it, you know, I feel for the person that's the real, you know, lover of the sport because it's hard to, um, to balance it with social media. And it's been such a dynamic, um, how do you say it fight, you know, between the two, but it's a losing fight (laughs) for us because we're such the minority. Does that make sense? Uh, it does, but I'll tell you that, um, I see it trending in my favor and I'm going to wait it out. I think quality is always going to overvalue quantity. I think some of that is age. So Mm -hmm. I guess you see some of these girls are going to get married and have kids. You're going to see it changes happening. And hopefully a lot of the younger girls will, you know, see that also. I also think that there's trending in general towards more authenticity. I think that things that are, like you said, sensationalized are short lived. Mm-hmm. I mean, unfortunately, that's our culture today in general. I don't mean to talk about politics, but because I really don't. I don't watch the news. I live in a bubble. And, Good for you. Um, somebody said something about the stock market in the Ukraine. And I said, honestly, I have no idea, but I have an honest question. What happened to the truckers? And everybody looked at me like, what? And I was like, you guys, there's something holds this country's attention for like one month. And then you guys change your profile frame to saving somebody else for the next month. I said, it's like a seasonal holiday. I don't understand this. (laughs) What I, where, I don't know where they went to be completely honest. And, um, so I just kind of disconnect myself from it because otherwise my mind can't I can't process how that's possible. So I just, I don't. Um, and I think that there is a core of people that really do value the sport and the fishery. I've told a lot of people that are not in this, this industry mm-hmm. will ask me about conservation. And I'll say people who fish and people who hunt are the biggest conservationists because we know the value intrinsically to ourselves and our family. We can see the greater picture, the long-term vision that we need to protect it now, you know, the web of how one thing affects something else, because we're all, you know, fully either we're raised in the outdoors or, or, you know, found it as an adult and now can see, you know, all the different ways, you know, that it's necessary, like even as just therapy, not just environmentally. So, I think that there are those people there. And I think that what we see is what people want you to see. So it's what 
it's headlines. It's whatever headlines they put on the news or whatever headlines they put on your social media. But there's a whole huge center of the country that doesn't even use social media. Thank they God. They read real books. <laughs> I was going to say, thank no, God. I, I, honestly, I just did my Florida Master Naturalist Certificate. It's a University of Florida Extension program. And it felt so good to be around a bunch of other people that read books. And I was like, I have been saying that I need to, you know, put the phone down and read, read books, you know, commit myself to doing that and to be more disciplined about it. And I think that it's there and, but that's not what's flashing in neon lights. And I think a lot of the, uh, you know, the glitz and glam is going to fade away. And then that core is going to still be there. And they, and they, they know the difference between, you know, authentic and staged. Right. 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 If you look at the, um, the number of people that, that, um, watch fishing on social media, it's unrealistic. And what I mean by that is for instance, way back when, when my social media channels were hot, I also did a TV show um, or a couple of TV shows with Bill Dance, who, of course, had the big TV show with, with the most eyeballs that would watch the TV. And we were comparing the social media numbers compared to the TV numbers. And exactly what you were saying about quality over quantity, to this day, I still get phone calls from people that watched the Bill Dance episode on TV. Not that I don't get phone calls from people that have seen me on YouTube over the years, but the millions and I mean, literally hundreds of millions of people have seen me on YouTube and the Bill Dance show at its prime only had like 500,000 people that would see an episode. But the 500,000 people that were watching Bill Dance had so much more quality than the people that were watching on YouTube especially in later YouTube years, like now. Yeah. Well, you have to say also, how do you, what's the point? So for some people, the point is like the value more emotionally, you know, or the reinforcement, personal reinforcement. But for the majority of people, whether it's your charter business or some other type of company, the, the, quanti- the quality has to come directly relate to the income, revenue, funds coming in. So you could get 10,000 likes on something, you know, but that has, what does that translate into how many, you know, whatever the product is, how many fillet knives did you sell? Okay. So you got, you got likes on, on a bikini, but did you sell any knives? Right. Was it productive? Did it make a difference for you? Yeah. So, you know, sometimes I'll say, listen, I don't get thousands of whatever, but I'm on the beach. I'm showing people how to use fish bites. I'm on Juno Pier prep. What are you using? Here's what I'm using. Check out my flavors. How do you use that? Oh, how big of a piece? When you have people that are there on, you know, on the ground engaging with people, you're, you're creating, you know, that buying demographic. Yeah. Right. Right. Now, it seems to me that um, teaching people and educating people is high on your priority list. Um, I never intended it to be that way. Right. I, um, in one sense, feel very fortunate. And so I started giving back, especially to kids that wanted to fish, both time um, and opportunity to do that, you know, setting things up. Mm-hmm. But then that really fueled me just how I felt. And now I realized, I guess, doing it for myself personally, then I realized there was a need for that. A lot of the ladies that I fish with give me direct feedback of, I like it the way you explain it. I feel like guys don't explain it to me. So I understand you know, or you push me to try something new, I can't thank you enough, or I always catch when I'm with you, it's we always have the best time. When you hear that enough over and over again, mm-hmm. you know, it, it uh, makes you want to 
like I said, it makes you want to perform at your best. Right. It makes you want to do it more. What do you think the most valuable thing is besides, you know, the actual X's and O's of, of, you know, baiting your hook and tying a knot, but what do you think the most valuable thing you with all the experience that you have that you teach to people? I think I give people the ability to not feel intimidated. You know, this lady today didn't cast very far. I said, it doesn't matter. You may not, you know, I, I just, um, kind of, I keep the fun in it. That's what have the original tagline. That's my real love started because that was the name for the kids camps. The tagline was making fishing fun for everyone. And that is exactly continues to be my mission statement. Yeah, it's a good one. It's a good one because people, especially when they start, say, pushing themselves or getting more serious about the sport, they'll often lose focus on the fun part of it and put way too much pressure on themselves. And I find that when people do that and they put the pressure on themselves, it's often the beginning to the end of their fishing career. Have you seen that over the years? I mean, yeah, but it can also be something where, you know, one person grumpy on the boat or or a couple people keep tangling and everybody starts getting heated. It's like, listen, we're all out here on the boat. Let's just clean it up and start over. Like, you know, we're going to get on some fish and, but the keeping the, you know, the team morale going, pressing the reset, you know, and then everybody ends up having a good time. But that, that happens a lot where you have to be like, okay, everybody, you know, let's not take it so seriously. This is not the world championship of fishing. We're just having a good time. Everybody's trying to learn. You know, like, for example, a lot of the ladies that I had boat fish with, they dead bait. So when they transition to live bait, they miss a lot of runoffs. They get irritated. And if the captain or the mate is not prepared to lose a whole bunch of fish, it's because we're all learning. You know, then then there can be a situation, but it's like, listen, we're just out here to learn, you know, or a lot of ladies are super intimidated to gaff. I said, listen, it's a Bonita. It's a little king. I do not care. So what? You lose a little kingfish. You've caught 20 little kingfish off the party boat. So then, oh, look, oh, that was easier than I thought. Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> you just Imagine have to that. relax and have a good time. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that's then I think those ladies enjoy the experience. I try to pre-fish before I take any kids. I want to make sure they catch stuff. I want to make sure you have a good time. You know, we're doing shark's teeth or we're doing other stuff, you know, simultaneously because it's it's about the experience. So a lot of times awesome fishermen will say, I'm going to be a guide. I said, that's great. But be aware, and I'm sure you've felt like this too. It's really maybe 40% fishing and 60% customer service experience. At least. Yeah. At least. So, so that's that's all. I think I'm very good at that 60 to 70% customer service experience. Well, I'll tell you one thing that I know that you're good at because I watch it online is you have a core – I don't know if it's a core group, but you have groups of ladies that you fish with and, you know, you guys are doing stuff constantly. And one of the things that I've noticed when fishing in a long time is you have, there are plenty of good women fishermen. Now, of course, they're not the majority by any means, but it's been very hard to get a number of women fishermen. And it seems like you actually have some numbers behind you that I've never seen before. Um, I've heard a lot about women talking about how they want to be into fishing and how it's more, um, you know, a a woman's sport nowadays. But I haven't really seen that many more women fishing. When I look at your posts, you really have a good network of women that you spend time with and that you're you're fishing with, huh? Um, Yes. But also, this is the same thing as you not realizing what how people are obsessed about Pompano. It's really about the circle. Because 
For example, Tunas and Tiaras is an all-ladies tuna tournament. I think they were already pushing over 200 registered anglers. I work on a boat that's at that marina in Ocean City, Maryland, um, and a girl, Pam, runs it. It's awesome. All-ladies canyon fishing for tuna. Um, The Pescadora is a huge um, all-ladies billfish tournament in Costa Rica, which has grown exponentially. You know, um, a lot of the ladies that you see me fishing with for the bass tournament example or Isla Mirada backcountry tournaments, those are all ladies in the International Women's Fishing Association. So those ladies are skill set 100 and um, self-marketers 10%. These are women that catch huge fish on two, four, six-pound tackle. They've chased records all over the world. They have many, many, many world records, um, and they're just fly, plug, freshwater. Um, They're just all skills and fantastic friendships. And they don't, um, they're, it's not a group of women that publish all of those accolades. Right. They're doing it. They're doing it. And they're not saying, look at me, look at me. They're just out there banging away at it. Doing stuff that is unbelievable. Yeah. And there's awesome women in West Palm Beach Fishing Club. You have Ladies Fish Off, which is Billfish Foundation. So when my groups are a small group from the International Women's Fishing Association, a small group of people from Fort Lauderdale and the Keys, a small group of my local girls here, you know, and then we'll get together and we have a bigger group. But I get emails or people reaching out to me under some format pretty regularly. Um, so there's just, I mean, but see, I follow what other ladies do. So I know that there's ladies that surf fish in California and catch halibut. We want to do a ladies long range tuna trip out of San Diego. So I'm already like talking to those girls that do that. They already do all ladies trips, long range trips. I don't have to reinvent the wheel. They do that. They slay. You crush it, huh? Big yellowfin cow, huh? They crush it, huh? Yeah, yeah I want to do that. Yeah, so that's just like being aware that that's right. That's out know. there. Funniest uh, girl fisherman that I know, the reggae girl. She's down here catching snakeheads and peacock bass, and I take her uh, snook fishing and tarpon fishing every once in a while. And I've known her forever, and she's really into it. And um, she went on this trip to the amazon she was the only i listened kid. to your podcast did you listen to that one yeah she was Kristen. the only girl and i was like thinking to myself god could you imagine i could never imagine doing a fishing trip where i would be all girls and just one guy or anything yeah but were you like used to being only one or two girls and mostly guys <laughs> guys so. a little more 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 seasoned for it huh i think she's seasoned yeah pretty much she yeah, knew what she, she was signing up for i think pretty Pretty much. Well, I think I think you and her have a lot in common. Like if you look at her yeah. post and if you talk to her, she's having so much fun. And that's what she prioritizes more than anything else is like, how much fun can I have, you know, it, with my fishing? It's not about the biggest fish or the most fish or anything like that. It's about how much fun am I having? And then when you talk to her, just like I'm talking to you, it rubs off and you can feel it. It's like in your motto is great fun first. I mean, that's, that should be the priority. Um, whether you're trying to get world records or you're just trying to get something to eat for that night, it's, it's about having fun. And it looks to me like you have just as much fun cooking the stuff. Yeah, I do. Pretty fancy dishes I've seen online. I've always liked to cook, but you know, it's interesting how the, as much as it is fun, I do really um value the direct food supply chain and you know harvesting that fish in a very particular way so that I can do what I want in the kitchen um so having learned a lot about that um especially recently that's kind of completed the circle for me and it's it's pretty exciting so what's your favorite fish to eat 
Yesterday, I got a yellow jack and an African pompano. And uh, the yellow jack was like 11 pounds on my digital scale. But uh-huh. um, both of them, I did the full Ikejime method on, the brain spike, bleed out, and then the Shinke wire. And um, I'm currently dry aging them. So I'm going to eat them in a week and do a little taste test. I'm trying to uh, learn different species. The yellow jack's one of my faves, and I catch them um, by catch when we're shrimp fishing for tarpon. And I'll throw those in the bucket to take home and eat. And my clients are looking at me like, who eats Jack? And I don't even tell them that they're good eating. I don't even want them to know. <laughs> I figure if everybody knows the Yellow Jacks are really good eating, we probably won't be able to catch them like we do. <laughs> no, I think a lot of people eat those for sashimi. But if you at least bleed that out, but if you do the brain spike and bleed too, I mean, it just makes a huge difference in the meat quality. It's just, it's, it's exciting to, uh, to be able to have that high level of, of, uh, catch, you know, you're doing it all yourself. I think when you do the eating part of it, whether it's with friends or friends or family, it's always special. You know, like I like to do fish fries and when I do a fish fry, I'll get the best fish that I can, that I can get. And I'll invite all my favorite people over and we have a big fish fry and the social ask, uh, the social part of that is a weird way, extremely important to me. Like I want those people to congregate and have a good time and eat that fish that I caught. And I don't know if that's like human instinct or whatever, but it seems to hold true. I mean, there's food has a lot of, uh, hidden talents i guess you could say you know it's not just the eating but there's a lot of rituals and bringing people together and the story behind catching it uh you know i think all that is what is what makes it special you ever met jamie huff redfish Um, mafia guy out of charleston no jamie um super good guide but anyway he's one he's been on like that master chef show and Oh, he cool. just he just crushes it with his chef abilities, and he was actually I think in the top four people in the country for that chef show. It was pretty pretty amazing, and I was pulling for him. I was taping the episodes, and I was like, "Go, Jamie!" <laughs> no, I it's, that's exciting. That those competitions, I know that's something that looks way easier at home than it is when you get up there. I think that the time pressure is very intense. So it doesn't really matter how, I mean, it matters if you're a good chef, but it comes down to who can manage that intensity. Right. Right. Kind of like evil can evil. He'll play anybody around to golf for a hundred thousand bucks. But, uh, he says, who can, you know, who can, who can perform under the pressure is the one that'll win the money. So the, um, before we finish up the interview, is there anything that, um, that you think is important for the audience to hear that you may have, um, a different way to look at things than most because you don't get too many women that are really into the sport um, in their points of view. There's so many different ways you can be involved with fishing as little or as much as you want. And there are so many different organizations and clubs. And uh, so whether you are advanced um, and want to continue challenging yourself, which is something that that I find exciting about being in, let's say, the International Women's Fishing Association. I love that those women are better than me. You know, that to me is like, this is, this is why I fit so well, because this is going to be, you know, how I can improve um, and continue to learn. And so I think as long as you're open to it, there's there are women in the sport are growing and the, the whether it's tournaments or clubs or get togethers um, that if you just put if you start getting more involved, the rest is going to come come easily. Uh, and there's a lot of rewards. Well, it was really a pleasure having you on the Real Guy podcast. I appreciate your points of view. And I'd love to meet you one day in person and um, spend a little time fishing with you. But I really appreciate it. Maybe we'll be on the beach. Yeah, maybe I'll come up there and uh, do a little beach fishing. Yeah, we'll see. I'll let you know when the mullet are showing up. 
Yeah, that would be great. That would be yeah. great. Coconut Telegraph. Thanks for having me, Jeff. I appreciate it. All right, run that dog. <laughs> Bye.